Built, build to last. Build to last. Beginning in verse 17, we read, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh, that's Matthew 16. Verse 17, and there's also on the screen. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter Petros, and on this rock, Petros, or Petrus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, gates of Hades, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. In heaven. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you. We bless you. We're so glad to be amongst the brethren. I love coming into your house and being around my sisters and my brothers. And God, I thank you for the privilege that you've given me to be the shepherd over this flock. I thank you, oh God, that we understand that you have called us here, that we might be equipped to do the work of the ministry of reaching the lost, that we might disciple them become disciples of others. Oh, God, now speak, Holy Spirit, move as only you can. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Uh, when a crime has been committed, the victim or someone who has witnessed the event will contact the police. And when the police arrive, depending upon where you live, that'll kind of affect how long it takes sometimes. Uh, the officer will speak to the victim and say, can you describe the perpetrator? How tall was he? How much did he weigh? What was the complexion of his skin? What was he wearing? Uh, was there any distinguishing characteristic? Did he have tattoos? Was he wearing a mask? Did he have an earring? Did he smell funny? By now, the victim is at the police station, and as he or she is describing the perpetrator, the officer will say, would you come with us, and we want to show you some pictures of the type of person that you described. Do you recognize any of these, any of these, the person who committed the crime against you in any of these photos? And if the victim says yes, the crime is partially solved because they are will pick up the perpetrator and bring that person in. But if for some reason that person is not recognized on the mugshot, there will be a dispatch sent out to the officers in the street and say, um, this is a description of a perpetrator, uh, be, a, be on the lookout for, and they give the description that was provided. And if someone is picked up, uh, they will bring them to the station and they'll have a lineup and they'll ask the victim if he could stand on the opposite side of a 
one-sided mirror. You can see them. They can't see you. And they'll say, does any of these individuals, one through four, resemble the person that did the crime that harmed you? And if the victim can say yes, then the crime is, again, on its way to being solved. Today, I want to present Jesus as the victim. And he is pulling out an all-points bulletin to all who name the name of Christ as Lord and Savior. And he has declared that a crime has been committed against him. And the crime is stolen identity. And the, the perpetrators are identifiable because they go by the title past. And these perpetrators have misrepresented Jesus by presenting a vision and an image of the church that does not match the scripture. And so Jesus is rounding up all the, all the preachers and their punishment will start with simply, why doesn't what you're doing in the church that you say is mine look like the church that I said should be mine? Jesus is saying to the church, behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. I want to come in. I, I want to be a part of what you're saying represents me, but you will not let me in. But if you do, I will commune. I will fellowship with you. I will manifest my presence if you let me in. Jesus has been victimized by those who say they represent him. And the portrait of the church that the world has today, in many instances, look nothing like the, the picture that the Bible portrays of what a church should look like. Starting today, I'm beginning a series of sermons. The Lord gave me the, 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 the subject a long time ago. I just didn't know how to start. That's, that's crazy. I don't know why the Lord do me. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so finally, I just started writing. And first thing that the Lord said, if we're going to build something that lasts as we move to Middletown, as we think about uh, heard Tony Evans say that time is against him. And uh, that was really interesting. And when I think about it, time ain't waiting. Yeah, but I want what God has called me to do and you as a part of that to live beyond us. So to build what will last, it starts with, it starts with accepting the vision Jesus has for his church, his vision. You, you can't build anything right if it doesn't start with the portrait that Christ painted for his church 2,000 years ago. So we got to go back to the scriptures and find the mugshot and say, this is it. And as often as I've read Matthew chapter 16, I never fully appreciated the fact that it really is the blueprint for church. It is the foundation passage for the church. 
And so I'm going to share with you three things that a church should look like when it accepts the vision that Christ intended for the church. Somebody say amen. Built to last. And the first thing that I want you to notice, uh, Jesus says, after Peter, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And then they give a description of what people were saying about the identity of Jesus. And then Christ personalizes it, and he says, but who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking on behalf of the other 11 disciples, he said, thou art the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You are deity. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responded just as he would to us if we, when we make the declaration of faith. We do not do that without the impetus of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says no one can come to God, expect the Spirit of God draw him. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith that not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God. Even the faith that we have is a gift from God. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but upon this kind of faith in my deity and humanity, I am going to build my church. And the gates of hell, the gates of the enemy will not prevail against my church. So the first thing that Jesus says when he said, I'm going to build my church is, he said, I'm going to birth something that doesn't exist. So the first part of the vision that Christ is given, when we, when we read Mark chapter 16, we're reading it as historical. But when Christ says, I'm going to build my church, it was prophetic because the church did not exist at the time Christ uttered those words. And they said, I'm going to build my church. and so. We see that when it comes to understanding what the church should look like, the first thing is that it was birthed by Christ. It finds its origin in Jesus. The question that comes to me is, what is the church? What is the church? It comes, the word church, our English word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, ekklesia, and it literally means called out ones called out ones, and if you were to kind of put it into a context, called out ones from sin unto Jesus for the purpose of assembling. So the church was created to assemble, but in order to assemble and to be a part of the church, you have to have a personal relationship with Christ. Called out ones from sin to Christ for the purpose of assembling in the world, and we collectively, we corporately, when the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, when the church comes together, the church says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of a special sense when we are acting as the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church has what they, in the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle, they had the portable uh, tabernacle that they marched through the wilderness with. And wherever they saw the tabernacle, the tabernacle represented the presence of God. The tabernacle is no longer a physical edifice. It is the body of Christ. The Bible says you are the tabernacle. You are the temple of God. And what does temple And the spirit of God does what? He lives in you. So wherever you is, that's where the church is. 
And so the church is a called out body of believers. Jesus promised, he said, I will build my church. I will give birth to my church. Now, a large gathering of people listening to music, singing music, falling out, gyrating, speaking in languages that they don't know, and no one can understand, does not necessarily mean that that's a church. Uh, people who have titles and positions and a big name in front of their church, this denomination or that denomination, it doesn't mean that you are a church simply because you assemble in a, in a large gathering and you name the name of Christ. The Bible says, many shall say in that day, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name? Have I not preached, etc.?" And he says, I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And so church, the church is a called out, or called out ones from sin to Christ. And so one of the first criterias of the church that Jesus said that he would birth is that you have to be saved. You have to be born a second time to be in the church. Nicodemus said, we know that you are God because no man, leader, Pharisee, PhD in religion, a teacher, renowned, rich, rolling in the dough. Everybody knew Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night. He didn't want his peers to know that he was, he was really chilling on. He was really interested and curious about Jesus. He said, we know that you are a man who God sent because no one can do what you do except God be with them. And Jesus responded. He said, Nicodemus, except you be born again, born a second time, born from above, you cannot see, you cannot comprehend, you cannot begin to understand who I am for the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned, and the, the, the things of God are foolishness unto them. So he said, you've got to be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so he says, in order to be a part of this church, you need to be born into the church. But as many as received them, finished it for them. They, they have the right to become what? The sons and the daughters of God, sons and daughters of God. Sometimes we'll miss that little, the little caveat at the end of John chapter 3, verse 8. When Nicodemus said, I'm old. How in the world can I be born a second time? How, how is that going? He's talking about biological birth. That's how the natural man understands spiritual language. Jesus is talking about supernatural birth. But watch verse 8. He says, we cannot see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind. Something happens <laughs> when you're born the second time. You shall know them by their fruit. People change when you get saved. You don't let, live the same way. You don't think the same way. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things, come on, y'all, have you changed? Are you different? Do you hunger and thirst? All this foolishness going on in the name of Jesus. The Bible says you'll know when the Holy Spirit is present because he'll make you behave differently. You don't see the wind, but you better put something on that head when you put some gas because that old hawk will wake you up. Amen, amen. Mm, I used to come out of the car, short sleeve, ain't no, no, no. Those days are long gone. The wind wins. 
And so what is the church? It's called out ones from sin to Jesus who assemble together in obedience to the command. If the Bible says, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves as the manner of some is, but coming together to exhort one another so much the more as the evil day approaches. We in those evil days. That's what the church does. But when did the church begin? It began in Acts chapter 2. The new church and church started in Acts chapter 2. Most of the New Testament books, when you read about in the book of Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians and Thessalonica, all of those were churches that were started during the missionary journeys of the apostle Paul, Silas, and Barnabas. And so what happens after the book of Acts, and we're not going to get, we're not going to get us uh, kind of drug down in this, but there are things that happen in the book of Acts, it's called the hinge book, that, don't re- that are not repeatable in other books. And because they're, un- so they're unclear, the epistles were written to the churches to explain how to have church. And so after Acts 2, all of the, all, all of the books, the, the epistles were those epistles, the, the people that trusted Christ, wherever they lived, they were called the church. They were called the church after Acts chapter two, and so the church began in Acts chapter two. The church at Ephesus, the church of Galatia, the church at Rome, the church at Colossae, the church at Thessalonica, and so when during the time when the church began, there were no Baptists, Episcopalian, Pentecostal, Church of God and Christ. Which is wherever you live, that was your church. The church did not meet in the way that we're meeting now. They met in house churches. They met in house churches, and each of those houses had an elder. They had a pastor. Now, when the apostle Paul called the elders from Ephesus, he was not calling them from one church. He was calling the elders from all of the churches, all of the churches individually to come and to meet him at a place called Miletus. And he talked to them about him going to Rome and never seeing them again. And so the church began in Acts chapter 2. When you get a chance, Jesus tells the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, he says, go to Jerusalem, because not many days from now, the promised Holy Spirit that I told you about in John chapter 14, verses 17 and 18, he said, the Holy Spirit has been with you, the parakletos has been with you, but I'm going to the Father so that he can send the Holy Spirit in, in, a, in a unique and new way so that he will not only be with you, he will be in you. And so on the day they were meeting in the upper room, 120 of them, they've been praying for 10 days. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit not only came upon them, but the Holy Spirit indwelled them. That we call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where he permanently took residency in the hearts of the Christians and the, and the church started. The church started. So the church started in Acts chapter 2. Why did it start next to? Because it didn't exist before Jesus said, I will build my church. The church was future. The church was future and became a reality in Acts chapter 2. Jesus kept his promise when the Holy Spirit came. Now, whose church is it? Somebody said, whose church is it? He said, I'm going to build my church. So by ownership, the church belongs to Jesus. And he has the right to ownership because in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, do you not know 
that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, indwelling you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were brought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The price that Christ paid for our sins that makes him the owner of the church is his precious blood. The Bible says, he who knew no sin voluntarily became our substitute. He took your place. He took my place on the cross. And in that act, God made available to us what we would not otherwise have. The, 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 the penalty of sin was paid, and all you and I need then God deposits it, deposits into our bankrupt spiritual account righteousness in the place where sin that separates us from God formerly enjoyed. So by ownership, the church belongs to Jesus. By stewardship, the church belongs to me as a pastor. I say amen. I'm about to get in trouble here. You know, we read in Scripture, the earth is the Lord. And it's all. And the fullness thereof. And all that dwell therein. How much belongs to God? By ownership. Your job, that belongs to the Lord. That house you live in. That husband. That woman you walk down the aisle with. Why do you call her my wife? My husband. My children, my job, this is my, what are you doing driving my car? Because God has made you steward over that, that car, over that wife. God says, uh, husbands, present your body as a, as, a, as a bride without spot or blemish. That's your stewardship. You don't own your wife. But you have the responsibility of, of leading her and developing her in the way because the Bible said it is required of a steward to be found faithful. And all stewards do is manage what belongs to somebody else. But if you don't manage it, the Bible says you will give an account for the things that God has entrusted you to do. And so the shepherd has a responsibility of being the steward over the house of God. That's why uh, when Jesus spoke to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he didn't start with the deacons or the elders or the priests. You know, he said to the angel of the house, to the messenger of the house, I have this against you. I'm holding what's going on in this church to your account. So God places in the church stewards called pastors. One pastor, lots of helpers. Ownership, Jesus. Stewardship, pastors. He says in uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, he says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. You will lead them with knowledge and understanding. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. And so it's the responsibility of the pastor to operate with help as the singular voice 
and the shepherd of the house, the covering for the house, to make certain that the sheep who without the shepherd would not know how to get to greener pastures. It is the shepherd's responsibility to lead the church to greener pastures. That's Bible. Now, every year, I have four children. We have four children. And I, I do this no matter how old they are. I'll get on the phone, or I'll text them, and I'll go back to when they were born. And I'll tell them what their mother went through, and I'll tell them how, how excited I was when they were born. And then I'll, I'll make a brief reference. I hope you're doing well now, but here's what God told me then, and here's what I'm believing. So I will, I'll speak prophecy over their life. But why do you do that? It's because I want them to remember how it all started. I want them to remember that their origin was, in, was, was birthed by God through a mother and a father and how valuable they are. And so when we start talking about Jesus' vision for the church, we need to go back to the scriptures and be able to say, this is how the church should look. This is how people need to be born a second time. People need to understand that there's a divine hierarchy. There's a divine order. There's a divine order. And when the church follows the order of God, as it is established in the scripture, the church is blessed. Amen. We need to, we need to revert. We need to, we need to accept his vision for the church. So he said, I'm going to build, I'm going to build, I'm going to, I'm going to birth the church with birth in Acts chapter two. But he also promised, I'm going to build the church. I'm going to build my church. And there are four essential ways that Christ builds the church. This is crucial. You want to write this down. Four essential things that any church that models the portrait that is set forth in Scripture, this will be true. The first will be vision. The Bible says, without vision, the people will cast off strength. The people will perish. And so God will give the shepherd vision. Vision is seeing the end from the beginning. Somebody say amen. It is foresight with hindsight. Foresight with insight based on hindsight. Now, I'm not going to delve deep into that, but we're going to do a whole uh, a part of this series is going to be talking about not only corporate vision for the church, but the individual vision that you must, uh, that God gives all of us as fathers, as wives, as parents. We're going to talk about that. And so the first key issue that needs to be determined, especially if God is calling you to a church, where's the church going? What's the vision for the church? I should be, everybody in church should be able to tell us, but if, I, if we can't, then it's my fault. We exist to make disciples that make disciples through the life-changing word so that people will reach their full potential in Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, the details of that is unique to every church, and that's why leadership helps to refine it and execute it. The second key component is this. For a church to look like the one that Jesus created, there must be conversion. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The only reason he could know that is because God revealed it. And God only reveals those kinds of insights to those who have personal relationships with him. So the church should be about what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, but when the Holy Spirit has come, you shall be what? You shall be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and un unto the other ones parts of the earth. So, the, so conversion, evangelism, the church should be telling people about Christ. Not just saying come to church. We need to tell them how they come to know the, the Christ of the church. 
Third thing is transformation. Say transformation. That's discipleship. He says, being, that is being conformed to the image of Christ. The Bible says, be ye transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect will of God. The way people are transformed by the renewing of their mind is by teaching them to observe the things that Jesus has taught us. We call that discipleship. So the church, when it looks like what it should, it will have a vision. There will be conversions. There will be transformation. People will be changing from the inside out, and they will be looking more and more like Jesus. But here's the fourth part of all that. Church that looks like Jesus is a co- it, the fourth, fourth principle is cooperation. A vision will go no further than the people that are called to support it. I will never accomplish anything of anything of significance, whether the, the vision is from if the vision is from God, and God says, as Peter, as Paul spoke, he says, follow, the, follow my leadership as pastor as long as I'm following Christ. When I stop following Christ, get off the bus. But a vision goes no further than the people that come alongside it to cooperation. He says, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so that we will be no longer as children who are tossed by every wind of doctrine. But the key thing, he said, that you might grow up to the full measure and stature of Christ. How does that happen? People working together. Last week, we asked you, as we're getting ready to move to Middletown, to join our effort. Uh, Elder Ward uh, stood up and he said, you need help. I didn't see anybody breaking it. <laughs> I didn't see no long eye. Now, I, I might have missed it. Might have missed it. Spirit, maybe y'all was in front of the nasty. But cooperation, this is not going any further than your effort. It will not. You see great ministries, you have great cooperation. Even when the pastor is evil, if people cooperate, Hitler was evil, but he almost overtook the world because he had a vision that people believed in. If, if people commit to a singular vision, and it has to be one vision because if it's more, it's division. And a house that is divided cannot what? Cannot stand. So we need your help. To build the church. And so you may not know with the list that was given exactly what you can do to help. But if you have a question, just simply say, how can I help? We'll figure it out. Elder Ward will figure it out. He'll tell you what you can do to help us. It is not his responsibility or the responsibility of the elders or the deacons to to do all of this. For those of you who are watching, you too. Amen. 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 Cooperation, transformation. Conversion, vision, that's the church. Now, Jesus determines the material that can be used. We don't get to decide to twerk in the church. We we, we don't get time to to walk it out. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. We don't get to tell people to shut up if you don't agree with me. If you can't out-soul with me, shut up. Unfollow me. That ain't biblical. That ain't, the Bible says our wep- the weapons of our warfare, what? They're not cardinal. That's worldly. That's fleshly. That's demonic. The weapon, we, we know what the church looks like. The Bible says, uh, they're not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We don't have to, the Bible says, be not conformed to the world. But be ye what? Transformed. We don't have to be like the world to win the world. How are you winning somebody when you join in their side?
Paul says there's no other foundation except Jesus on Christ, the solid rock. We stand all other ground is sinking sand. He said, every man's work shall be tried according to what sort they are, wood, stubble, hay, precious stone, silver, and gold. If it's not what Jesus said should go into the building, it will burn. It will burn. It will have no eternal value. I don't care how packed the church is. Jesus was never seeking a crowd. He never announced a faith-healing service. Not one time. He never said, I, I, I led 150 people to Christ. He never said that. Down the scripture will record, 3,000 were added. 10,000 numbers count, but numbers aren't what Jesus counted. Jesus determines the material. Only what you do for Jesus will last. What is your motivation? Why are you here today? Are you really here? Because Sunday, Christians go to Christians go to church on Sunday. We want to learn the scriptures. No, 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 no. You come because you have come that you might be built up to do the work of the ministry. We have a lot to do. Time. I mean, before you know it, it'll be April or July. We'd be moving to Middletown. And half of the folk will be knocked out and exhausted and wanting to become Muslims because they just they didn't get no help. We have excellent leaders here, skilled leaders that can direct us and teach us. I have never made a cake in all my life. I have enjoyed many. But I do know when I've thought about it, there's a recipe on that. Now, I know uh, butter, probably cream or milk, sugar, and some other things. But what I do know is if you leave out the main ingredient, it may look good. But it ain't going to taste good. The main ingredient is conversion and transformation. The main ingredient is vision and cooperation. If a church doesn't have that, you just got a nasty cake. You just got a bunch of folk gathering. You just have a whole bunch of folk rolling up and down the aisle. But in order for it to please the Lord, the ingredients have to line up with what he has established in the word. He said, I wish that you were cold or hot, but you make me sick. You're lukewarm. You're playing church. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I wish I had been ready a long time ago. I wish I had had the mind to serve the Lord the way I know we got to serve him now. It took me a minute, y'all. I'm ready. I'm ready. You ready? Get ready. Get ready. Are you ready? <laughs> Hallelujah, hallelujah. Here's the third thing. Jesus promised to protect his church. He said, I'm going to birth my church. I'm going to build my church. Those four ingredients, I determine the material. But I'm also going to protect my church. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I heard people say, now the church is over. Pandemic killed the church. The pandemic just opened up <laughs> a thousand new churches. The pandemic just made the church bust out in evangelism in a whole different way. It didn't kill the church. 
it kicked the church in the, into gear in the way that we should have been. Now, what does the enemy do to overpower the church? When you get a chance, write this down. This keeps me up at night. That's the, the burden of a pastor. This bothers me. This concerns me. In, in Acts chapter 20, verses 20 through 29 through 30, and this is what we need to be even more aware of as we're transitioning from here to Middletown. Uh, and, and in those verses it says, and I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And he said, even from your own numbers, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Here's what the enemy does. The enemy will attack us externally. He says, savage wolves will come in among you. That's why we need to know the word. That's why you need to be learning about the bondage picture. That's why you need to learn how to make disciples that make disciples, because people are going to join the church, and some of them are going to have, they're going to have evil motives. That's why you got to watch. I mean, I don't even, we're going to have to have a training on how to communicate through technology. People set you up to say stuff. They record what you say. They'll go back 10 years of pictures that you sent somebody, and they will use it against you to defame the church. The bishop twerking. Yeah, there's, somebody, there's a camera somewhere. People will join the church with the intention of exposing the church's weakness to bring destruction. Then he says, the enemy will also attack internally. He said, even from among your own numbers to develop disciples after themselves. The motive is to divide the church and to develop groups that clicks in the church. That's all that is. The Bible says a house divided against itself. He says, so be aware. Be aware. The greatest threat to our church is unity. If we work as one, we can accomplish there's nothing that we can do. It don't take a big number. We got $100,000. We got a 1.6. We got all. How did that happen? Unity. But it's not something that is a once. It's not a runoff. The Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 4, make every effort to maintain the unity. Fight for it. Fight for it because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion who roams to and fro, seeking where he can sow seeds of this. And so we want to shut down division. Somebody say, shut it down. Somebody come to you and they talking and they want to say something about somebody. Okay, I'm calling them right now. Let's, let's work this out. You know what the Bible says, if someone offends you, we want to work it out, don't we? Some of y'all said amen. <laughs> no, we're going to work this stuff out. And before it becomes what the devil can use, to keep the church from going forward. And so the devil will use divisive methods. He will use, he will distort the truth. He, people, the Bible said in the last days there will be a great apostasy, a great falling away from the church. People will keep coming to church, but they will have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Religious folk, but ain't trying to live for Jesus. Don't even try, you, pastors don't even preach about sin. You got, you got 15 minutes, and you better be out. You be, they be trying to figure out a way to fire you. 
One hour church, Jesus, God gets one hour of your week. Show me that in the Bible. Show me you're going to go to any football, baseball game, and you're going to be okay with one hour. You're going to be, you're going to be losing your mind if those lights go out and you have technical difficulties and you can't see the rest of your game. They will desert the truth, falling away, and they will delight. Here's the big thing. Here's the big thing in the time that we live in. They will delight in past successes. When you get a chance to read about the church of Sardis, he says, I know your deeds. You have the reputation of being alive. They were living on all their past successes. We, we were a bad church. We were a mega church, and everybody was coming. He says that you, that you are alive, but really you're dead. The seven last words of a dying church is we've never done it this way before. A church that is not technologically accurate and, and excellent has lost their voice in the community. We have given the devil a reason to, ignore, to let people ignore us. We have to be adaptable. We have to be willing to be as excellent as you go into a doctor's office, everybody's on their phone. We, we don't talk to each other anymore. Why? Because technology has grabbed our attention. And so technology is grabbing people's attention. We need to be good at technology. Somebody say amen. Now, how does the Lord protect the church? Say, say tell me, Pastor. He said, I will give you what? I will give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be what? Bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The Lord said, I've given you supernatural authority. Those keys represent authority and power. And he says, what? I have given you these because the gates of hell will be erected. There will be offenses where the devil is actually on the march to shut down your marriage, to shut down the church, to shut down the program and plans of God. There will be gates erected. There will be drug gates. There will be pornography gates. There will be children who, who rebel against their parents. There are going to be people who are laughing at the church because of all the stuff that you're seeing on YouTube about the church. The devil is erecting gates against the church. The church is not going to prevail if the devil had his way. But the Bible says, for every gate, I have given you keys that you are able to bound and loose what has already been bound and loose in heaven. We have authority. The church is not going to die. The true church of the Lord is going to thrive. The true church of the Lord is going to thrive. Stand with me. We have to accept the church as it is described and portrayed in the word of God. He said, I'm going to birth my church. I'm going to build it my way. And I'm going to protect it. If you see the portrait that the Lord has painted for the church, how it is supposed to look, and what you are experiencing with relatives or on TV does not match the word. The word isn't wrong. The word is actually a, a, is a light that exposes darkness. So we need to keep going back to the scripture. How do, is this supported by Bible? And if it's not, the Bible is true. And let every man be alive. Every house that is not built on Christ is built on sinking. When we do it God's way, it will last. B 
be on when I breathe my last. What I want to be said of me is that he preached the word, that he loved God's people, and he gave his, that's all. I don't care about anything else. He loved his wife. <laughs> and it's, I'm glad that. Amen. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's what I want to be said. Because Christ, Christ is a solid rock. Everything else can be built on that, and it will last. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I am amazed every Sunday when people show up. <laughs> it's amazing. But your word draws your people. God, I know it's hard to get adults to do anything. But the Spirit of God, you said that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons and the daughters of God. And as many as are led by your Spirit. And so, Father, I thank you for the leading of the Spirit to bring those who are here today. I thank you, God, that you don't leave us alone. Even when we don't agree, you won't leave us alone because you know that harmony and peace is what blesses the church. And that's how people know that we're your disciples. Now, oh God, have your way as we build, build to last. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand.